turn your light off. Right. So now we're in absolute pitch black darkness. We're stood inside the heart of a giant ancient rainforest tree. It's almost completely silent, except for the sound of the bat's wings floating around. And there's a tiny little bit of light coming in through the cave entrance that we've just walked through. <gasps> and there you go. Oh my God. <laughs> that was the voice of Dr. Andy Whitworth, an ecologist and conservationist who has spent over a decade living and working in tropical rainforests. Andy is going to finish his story, recorded from inside the trunk of the largest tree I have ever seen. But we have a lot to cover before we get there. My name is Lucy Kleiner, and this is The Nature Dilemma, a podcast series by Osa Conservation dedicated to, inspired by, and created in the last wild places on Earth. These stories help us understand the dilemma between humanity and the planet humanity depends on. We'll tap into the knowledge of experts around the world and take you to some of the most pristine and vulnerable wildernesses on Earth. I'm reporting from the Osa Conservation Biological Station, surrounded by Costa Rica's ancient rainforests. Join me as I look for answers from the top conservationists, scientists, and nature nerds around the world. Less than a month ago, a camera trap video posted by Mongabay caught international attention and sparked a bit of controversy. That video, recorded via camera trap on Costa Rica's Osa Peninsula, showed a raccoon-like animal called a kawadi cornered by a silky ocelot in a bat box. The two mammals have an intense standoff, which lasts about 10 minutes before... the ocelot drags the kawadi out of the bat box by the neck, dead in its jaw. As soon as that video went public, people from around the world started asking questions about the dramatic, jarring, and incredibly aggressive scene. Why are scientists designing bat boxes like this? Is this a time to rethink the layout of these human-made structures to ensure these killings don't happen again? And why even use a bat box in the first place? Those questions in that video linked in today's show notes, inspired today's episode. So I'm taking you into the field with the executive director of Osa Conservation, Dr. Andy Whitworth, a tropical ecologist and one of the masterminds behind the bat box that caught the world's eye. On, hop in. Ready? Ready. I met Andy outside of the Osa Conservation Biological Station, where he gave me a ride to the restoration site a few kilometers down the road. How's your day going? It's good. Yeah, I'm excited for this, to actually see the scene where the crime went down. The crime? It's not a crime! <laughs> well, I guess that's no. why I'm here today, huh? Yeah, well, we're going to change that language for sure. <laughs> Andy has focused much of his efforts on not only researching and developing an understanding of these threatened habitats, but actually growing them back. So tell me about where we're going right now. Where are you taking me? Well, we're going to go to, uh, oh, look at that carousel. Um, we're going to go out of the forest and down the road to where the farm is. It's now our kind of, you know, regenerative organic 
farm. But that's where all the old cattle pastures are that we reforested and, you know, turned back to uh, a rainforest system. After driving about 10 minutes over a bumpy dirt road that took us through, not over, a flowing river, Andy pulled the car over and led me into a grove of skinny trees called balsas that towered over our heads. Okay, so as we walk to our final destination, tell me where we are right now. So we're, we're just coming into the, the restoration plots on, on the farm. Um, and this right now where you stood is an area that four years ago, cattle pasture. And This uh, right here used to be cattle pasture. Yeah, exactly. We, wow. didn't, we didn't start planting this until four years ago, but there'd been cows on here for like, probably like 40 years or something. That's almost unbelievable that this four years ago is cattle pasture. How big are these trees, would you say? Like 20 meters at, at, at least, yeah. This is what this place is about. It's a big restoration experiment. So we've got different parcellas or... Uh, <laughs> I forgot the English. What? There's different plots um, of four different types of restoration treatment. One of the problems around the world to regrind forests is to actually make sure that the, the initial trees can grow. And it seems like with these balsa plots, you've, you've kind of accomplished that because you have a full canopy cover. It's absolutely baffling to think this was cattle pasture less than half a decade ago. Well, you're taking, I mean, that's a lesson learned really from, from Dan Jansen up in Guanacaste, which the idea is to think about how you can use like a, a broadleaf species to put up shade structure very quickly. And really the idea comes from just looking in a natural old growth forest that we're gonna go to later on today. Okay, so the whole point of what we're here today is to talk about how you're replicating those old growth forests, right? So replicating old growth forests, you know, that's a stretch because um, we'll probably never be able to easily replicate those old growth forests. But yes, we're trying to figure out how we can bring back tropical rainforest efficiently, quickly and restore as many of those interesting interactions and special things about a rainforest. Whether we'll ever restore those old growths, I don't think that's easy. I guess that's a good point, huh? If these old growths are over 500 years old. <laughs> exactly. We, to me, in my mind, they're irre irreplaceable and we should not be touching them. But what we can do is think about the areas where we want to see rainforest recover. How can we help that happen where it needs to be helped? Of the 40 restoration plots Osa Conservation has planted and continues to maintain, half of them are what Andy calls rewilding plots. These plots get a little extra attention. The team has manually added rewilding treatments inspired by old growth forests to bring back the microhabitats that don't occur naturally in baby forests like this. So all of this forest we're work, walking through is young. You've not got old trees where there's hollows for birds to nest in. You haven't got any giant ancient trees like the one we're going to see later today where the whole tree hauls out and you've got like hundreds of bats living in there. So our rewilding plots are just trying to recreate some of those features of, a, of an old growth forest to help bring back some of the wildlife and help with the rewilding process. And the team built what looks like a little outhouse designed to attract bats to roost. Okay, Andy, so tell me what we're looking at before we get up close to this bat box. 
Well, you just said exactly that. It's a bat box. Um, you know, it, it, it's big, right? So it's it's way taller than me. It's like, you know, over three meters. It looks like, you know, a small house. Uh, it's got a really well-built roof with a long overhang to stop any kind of water or moisture. It's made of like a steel structure. It's very square with that entrance hole in the bottom. So it means that the top of the box stays really nice and dark for the bats so they swoop into the at the foot of the box and go up and then at the top of the box on the inside is like a, a, a wire mesh so they can hang on there with their little feet and uh, stay safe in, in the top. Do you think there's bats in there right now? I'm almost certain. Okay let's find out. Before we jump in it's important to mention Andy brought gloves, masks, and alcohol to allow us to visit these bat roofs safely. When exploring any natural habitat, doing so safely with experts to keep all animals, including the humans, super safe is a top priority. So we installed these little doors on the back on a few of these so we can just open them up and we can have a look at what's going on inside. So this is the back of the box. It's going to be pretty smelly. There's lots of bat poo and guano in there. But what you'll see is like, look at those seeds and insect wings. So you know that there's a bunch of stuff going on in here that the bats are uh, involved in, which is the control of insect pest. And if you look up in the top, that's where the bats are. I think we've got a community of about maybe even 40. It's been a while since I've counted them, but I can see now uh, maybe about 30 or so bats in there now. Better in there right now. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna stick my head in. Yeah, put your head in. Whoa. So it started like a couple of bats came in and you know, this community is growing. And so they're controlling all the insects in this, you know, this restoration area. They're moving all these seeds around. And this is where the hub of everything that you saw in that video kind of happened. You know, we, we have to speculate about why coates or opossums might be coming in these boxes. And obviously when I was checking these out looking for the bats, I saw the feces of other bigger animals and that's what, you know, caused us to put the, uh, the camera trap out. But I think they're either coming in, it could just be for shelter, like when it's raining, they want somewhere like dry to go. It could be that they want to forage in maybe some of the insect litter. You can hear them tweeting away. They're talking to Squeaking, us. Squeaking, yeah. They, they, so the other animals could be attracted to some of these seeds or bits of fruits or bits of insects and maybe they're, they're foraging in there. Maybe they're coming in because they want to try and catch the bats. I don't know. Like, it's hard to get the bats because there's, you know, they're, they're up on the mesh way up in the box there. That's honestly something that kind of caught my attention. From the video, you don't realize that the bats are roosting like two meters above oh. where all of that whole standoff went down between the coati and the... Yeah. No, I mean, it, it's, you know, it's perfect for these guys because they get to hang on the mesh right up their way in the box. So, you know, maybe something's preying on the bats as they come in and go out. But I mean, so what? That's natural. But it's just super interesting that like, you know, our intention was to provide a home for bats. And then what we did is actually instilled all this knock on effect of interactions which is exactly what a rainforest is, is all these trophic interactions. And we didn't realize that by putting a bat house to think about, you know, insect control and pollination, that actually now we're going to influence other animals. So can you break down for me, as somebody who's never tried to regrow rainforest before, why focus on bats? 
that's uh, uh, just so important. I re- I read this awesome article just this past week that looked at the dispersers in African rainforest and the animal responsible for the greatest dispersal distances was an elephant, right? The second animal was bats. Wow. Not like herbivores and all of these other animals. Bats were the, 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 the animal responsible for the longest dispersal distances after elephants. Because these guys like fly long distances, they grab hold of fruits and they forage, then they move seeds around. We call it seed rain. Uh, so they can go to another patch of forest, bring new seeds here and help that complex uh, recovery of forest. But also pollination. So going around a lot of bats feed on nectar and the flowers and so they're responsible for the pollination of lots of different trees and and flowers and insect control like you could see there in that box look at all those insect wings katydids moths butterflies they're controlling insect pests when you look at the balsa trees and all those holes in the leaves yeah i was gonna ask you so you know there's obviously a huge pressure on the trees from the the insects the bats will help to kind of control that and keep those insects in check right so there's so many services that bats provide it's it's quite phenomenal and when you designed these bat boxes in the first place were you imagining anything like bringing back big mammals no, I, that that was really interesting. So that was something that we just didn't consider at all. And like I said, when I opened the boxes and saw the bigger feces, I was like, oh, something else is using these. Um, but immediately what we did is we put cameras, not just on these boxes, but the team went out into the old growth forest and looked for the natural cavities and they put cameras on there too. We see the same thing. We see coates and opossums and peccaries going into cavities and we see ocelots sniffing around those cavities looking to see if there's a snack hiding in there. Okay, that's perfect because that brings me to a question I have for you and a question that a couple people asked online, which is after seeing what went down at this bat box, the battle at the bat box, is this a time for you to reflect and try to restructure or redesign the bat boxes or why are they designed like this where something like that could happen? No, I mean, you, you could ask questions experimentally and say, what happens if we put another hole in? So there's an entrance and an exit. And you could ask that. But changing it based on the idea that the predation event is wrong or that the bad bat boxes are badly designed because something's going in to feed, prey on the bats, that's nonsense. Like, you know, <laughs> the, the reality is that this... All of these things, predation, hunting, trophic interactions, it's normal and it's natural. And animals feed on other animals. And uh, when you see those things happening in a system, that, that's great. Because, <laughs> of course, what you're saying is very common in a natural old growth forest, right? I wouldn't be so alarmed if I saw a camera trap video of an ocelot hunting a kawadi in the real forest, in the real world. What do you think when you realize that this is happening on what used to be cattle pasture just four years ago? Is that a failure or is that a success? Well, I mean, I see it as a big success, but I think one of the challenges is that maybe people see it and say, well, that's a human designed bat box, so it must be wrong, like what's going on? And I think, well, exactly. We're already trying to fix something that humans did, which was turn this beautiful rainforest full of complex systems and ocelots hunting kawatis. We turn it into a cattle pasture. 
so that we could have burgers. So now we're trying to like look at ways to bring it back and reintroduce a feature of, a, of an ancient rainforest. And we're actually trying to restore those predation events. And we want to see ocelots hunting coates and coates foraging in, you know, bat boxes, whatever they might be foraging on. It's a success. Okay, I have a, I have a personal question for you. If you can try to take off your scientist hat. Did it make you feel sad to watch that at all? Did it make me feel sad? I mean, when you hear that sound, right, and the the, it's the shocking. yeah, the aggression between them. I mean, it's it's uncomfortable, and you can't help but like sympathize with the Koati, absolutely. But but no, like, look, my logical hat takes over, and I'm like, <laughs> this is amazing. Like, that's you know, that's what happens. And you're gonna take me to see one of these. Uh, natural forest systems right one of these old cavities i'm going to take you to see it i'm going to take you inside of it okay we'll see if i actually get inside of it um do you have anything else to tell me about this space before you take me into the old growth forest to kind of see what we've what we're replicating no i i you know i just think like you know soak it in look around it used to be a cattle pasture and there's a lot more cool things to look at now and uh you know just try and bear in mind what this weird human-made structure represents and uh, you, you'll see it this afternoon. After our stroll along the bat boxes, Andy and I packed up and he took me back to Osa Conservation's biological research station. From there, we headed out into the old growth rainforest on foot. After about an hour or so of hiking, Andy stopped me below a massive ancient ajo tree and he told me to look up. That canopy's, you know, 50, 60 meters, 180, 200 feet. And this is about as pristine as it gets in any rainforest in the world. I've been to, you know, throughout Peru and Asia, and this is climax. This is as good as I've seen anywhere. You just got these giant monster trees and, and it's not just like one of them, right? They're like, you know, there's one over there, one over there. Yeah, there's like five within our our view right now. So now can you smell that? Can you smell something? It doesn't smell good. Well, it's ammonia, right? Uh-huh. That's the smell that you're smelling right now. So I know immediately that there's a bat roost here, just from the smell. That's what that is. Uh-huh, it's a huge bat roost, it's the ammonia. So we look around, there's a bunch of candidate giant ancient trees. But that monster there, right in front of us with the huge roots, that's where that smell's coming out from. That's where we're going? That's where we're going. I was hoping you were going to say we're going to that tree. <laughs> that's the biggest tree I think I've ever seen. <laughs> this is the ajo tree, the Cariocarcos thirisens. Um and this is a monster of an ancient tree. I don't even know how old this tree is, but you can see the buttress roots. They run outwards along the forest floor, almost as long as the tree is high. Because the, the soils here are super shallow, so they don't run deep like you get in a temperate oak forest where the root system goes down. Mm -hmm. They stay along the surface, so they need like, that helps with great stability for them to get huge and tall, right? Uh -huh. And then the roots are near the surface where all the nutrients are. The nutrients are coming out down of the canopy and then there's a competition on the surface layer to suck it all straight back up again. Yeah, if you've never seen a tree like this, like these buttresses don't fail to amaze me because it feels like you're, you have to like climb over the roots just to get to the actual trunk of the tree. Okay, so 
What are we doing at this tree right now? Why did you bring me from restoration plots with a very young forest <laughs> to the middle of an old growth? You know, this is really the answer to the question. And it's like, what the hell are we doing in those plots, in those young forests, building those giant bat boxes, those man-made things that kind of look like a weird intervention, which they are. When I think about like how we're going to do forest restoration where we're trying to bring back something like a, a rainforest, the problem is is that just planting a bunch of trees in rows isn't going to cut it. All those trees are the same age, right? And they're going to take a long time to get big enough that they're going to create these giant holes and these cavities inside of them. And so what I want to bring you here for is to show you how incredibly important these giant cavities are in an old growth rainforest system. And if you're thinking about bringing back rainforest and biodiversity quickly, we need to go beyond putting trees in rows. And we need to think about how we bring back some of those micro habitats like this tree that we're at now um, and speed up the processes. Because if we can speed up the processes, uh, then we can start to rebuild some of the connections and interactions between the wildlife, which is what the whole video was about, the success of that. I think sometimes we talk about like the impact of something like a bat and you always imagine a little bat box and like one or two bats and you're going to see like if we came here at like late at night and we saw the bats pouring out of this thing it would be mind-blowing and there's about six different species of bats in here and in here like in this in, in this, this tree, tree. Yeah, yeah. And, oh. and I'm talking about like vampire bats, there's insectivorous bats in here that are like going to uh, control insect populations. And then there's the, the nectivores who are going to like feed on flowers and help with pollination in this forest. And you suddenly realize what a hub of activity is this giant ancient tree in this old growth forest. And think about the tree strategy here. It's a really smart idea from the tree. The tree is completely alive. And then it's hollowed itself out probably to create this habitat because it wants the bats because the bats are going to bring in vital nutrients to the tree. It's a really incredible strategy. I'm a little torn about if I want to go in. Well, I'm not worried about the bats. Um, you know, we are going to crawl in. Uh, it is a bit stinky and messy. Um, the thing that I'm most worried about is the fertilizers and vipers. So we're going to check very carefully on the way in because we're going to crawl on our bellies to get inside there and then we can stand up there's room in there to we could have like five or six people stood up in there. i was gonna say are we gonna go in at the same time yeah we're gonna go i'll go in first and um clear the venomous vipers uh, for me <laughs> no check that there's no venomous vipers not clear them um and then you can uh you can follow in and then we'll just we'll kind of sit quietly and have a look around and you'll you'll see make sure you've got your mask um obviously your clothes are going to get absolutely filthy and uh, we'll wash off with alcohol and stuff when we get out but uh, don't touch your eyes and your mouth deal okay we're going into the tree while andy uh gets prepared and checks out for venomous vipers i'm going to describe what this tree actually looks like so this ajo is over 50 meters tall and like andy mentioned the buttresses span out on the ground level almost as far as it is high. So we actually have to crawl over the roots covered in moss to get to the cavity. And Andy's crouched down on his hands and knees now with his headlamp doing a solid look, thank goodness. And what we're doing is we're literally crawling into the root system 
through a, a hole that's maybe two feet by two feet. Okay, Andy's going in. <laughs> oh, I'm nervous. Okay, headlamp on. I'm getting down on my stomach. Oh my gosh. Wow. Okay, during the editing process, I realized I didn't do a great job of reporting while I was in the tree. And I blame that on the fact that I was inside a tree. It was truly one of the most wild experiences in my life. So I'm going to cut in a few times here to translate what my gasps mean. That first one was me reacting to how deep and wide this hollow was. Andy, easily over six foot, was so deep into the tree that I could hardly see him and he was standing straight up. Keep, keep coming and then just try and sit on here. This is obviously all of the, the guano, <laughs> the bapoon you can see, full of like insects running around in there. Big cockroaches. Oh, it's like the size of my palm. Huge. <gasps> and there you go. Oh my gosh. <laughs> now if we just look at right in front of you there. And those gasps, that was when I realized how many eyes were staring down at me and meeting me at eye level. Okay, lots of bats, lots of bats. Right, but now we're going to lean out and just look up carefully. Oh. And you'll oh. see up there. Wow. If you go all the way up there, there's often hundreds of bats in here. Oh, they just keep going, keep more, keep coming out. Uh-huh. Oh my gosh, there's one right by your head. Oh. Yeah, stand up. Okay, okay. Ah. There's a lot of large look at cockroaches. Those cockroaches. There's like two very distinct species of cockroaches there. These guys are called like death's head cockroaches. Death's head cockroaches. You can hear the wings of the bats, right? And so a swarm around. of bats. Andy, for people on the podcast who obviously can't see this, will you just tell me in your own words? I mean, it's it's pretty hard to like describe with words, but I mean turn your light off. Right. So now we're in absolute pitch black darkness and we're stood up and there's room in here for like, what, eight other people if we wanted. We're stood inside the heart of a giant ancient rainforest tree. It's almost completely silent except for the sound of the bat's wings floating around. And there's a tiny little bit of light coming in through cave entrance. The smell is bat guano <laughs> and it's overpowering. Um, and it's just very surreal. It's it's a cool experience. Like you don't feel like you should be stood inside the middle of a live ancient tree. <laughs> oh, it's kind of <laughs> <laughs> I think what I was about to say is, oh, it's kind of nice in here. But that was before a bat fluttered around my face. What are they doing in here? They're I mean, they're roosting. This is where they're safe. So, like, during the day, you know, this tree, I mean, it's so thick, right? It, you felt how hot it is in the sun today, you know, 36 degrees probably out in the sun, but in the forest, in this tree, it probably keeps things nice and cool. And it's the perfect place for them to hang out during the day. And then as soon as dusk comes, they'll come down and go straight through that same hole that we climbed in. And they go off out in the forest and forage on insects and 
pollinate flowers and help keep this whole forest system ticking. <laughs> and then they're back in here by morning. So when you look at our bat boxes, they're even small compared to this giant cave. But this is what we're trying to recreate. And what's awesome is that we set the camera traps outside of this tree and we get the same thing as we're seeing in the plots. You get coates and peccaries and animals coming in and checking out what's going on and foraging in here or doing whatever it is, sheltering. And the ocelots are hiking past and sniffing the cavities and finding out if there's anything going on in there that they should go and check out. So for me, when we saw that footage, I was like, holy crap like we did it you know we <laughs> re recovered something in you know a th you know a three-year-old forest that used to be a cattle pasture and suddenly now you've got like an ocelot eating a coati that's amazing you know four years ago it was just some cows grass and maybe one species of dung beetle <laughs> <laughs> and by bringing the bats back you're also bringing back like you mentioned, so much of that like valuable diversity and relationship within the ecosystem. Yeah, you're trying to like rebuild all those things and predation is a key part of a tropical forest system, right? Things are hunting other things all of the time and there's competition all of the time driving the system. And so you're rebuilding those, those food chains. This eats this and this eats that and this eats this. And that's what you want. I heard about the this whole circle of life thing you talk about. <laughs> I've heard it mentioned once or twice. Yeah, but the Lion King didn't do a lot of great help with that by showing a lion cub hanging out with a meerkat and a warthog. <laughs> <laughs> really, you should be ripping into those things. <laughs> oh my gosh. All right, so we're going to head out. I would like to make note that I'm baffled by how comfortable Andy looks standing in the heart of an ancient megatree surrounded by bats. I'm flinching and ducking. It's like at least my fourth time. Uh, the best way to get out is to kind of go the same way you came in and try and go backwards rather than going forward out. Head first, okay. Okay, head torches back on. Andy just slithered out of this giant aho tree. This is surreal. I've never been so mystified and simultaneously horrified. Absolutely incredible though. Just dozens of them up there flopping around and a few at eye level with me. Okay, I'm crawling out now. After climbing out of the tree, sanitizing ourselves and our equipment, and thanking Andy for his time, he left me with this thought. Yeah, no, you're welcome. It's, uh, it's a shame we can't get every person on the planet inside one of these things. And then I think they'd really learn why we need to keep these things standing. Thank you for joining us in the field for this episode of The Nature Dilemma. One of the goals of this podcast is to bring listeners as close as possible to Earth's last wild places, and it was an honor to take you with me into the heart of an ancient tree in Costa Rica's wild rainforest. If the show sparked any questions, leave them for us as a review, and we'll get back to you with answers. Once again, that was Dr. Andy Whitworth, Executive Director of Osa Conservation and the producer of The Nature Dilemma.
If you haven't watched the video, Battle at the Bat Box, you can find it on OSA Conservation social media, which is at OSA Conservation. It's also linked in our show notes. Help us out by sharing the show with your friends, family, and anyone else you think would enjoy crawling inside a giant tree with me. If you can, take a minute to leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcast. That's the best way to support the show. Last time, my name is Lucy Kleiner, and this is The Nature Dilemma. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs>